Bassmaster Magazine, Rod Pyle. Hi, Rod. How are you? I'm good. You know, I, I rarely in life get to feel so profound as when I hear your opening, and it always lifts my spirits. And then well, I go you. back to just being a normal me. <laughs> well, you know. Whatever that is. Well, we've always enjoy having you coming on, and, you know, I've been trying to figure out different ways to introduce you with with different whatever. And it suddenly occurred to me today, hey, you know what? I've never used the theme from uh, t- 2001 A Space Odyssey to bring Rod on. Bum, 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 bum. It kind of makes me want to start, you know, beating a, something with a bone and toss it in the air, <laughs> which is yeah. not the shot most people remember, but that no, was there, man. Well, that's, that was one of the great shots in that movie. The bone goes up in the air, and then it turns into yes. a space station, right? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I, I have to tell you, I think it was 12 years ago or so, they re-released that in movie theaters, and, uh, you know, in 65 millimeter, this is probably close to 18 years ago, I think of it, in 65 millimeter projected film, and those effects held up just oh. as well as they did back in the day against modern stuff. I was nope. just amazed. I've always thought that. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. The The effects in 2001 Space Odyssey, considering how long ago it was made, and you take a look at any other film of that era uh, and special effects that are in those other movies, they're like child's play compared to this. I mean, I don't know how they did it because it didn't. It, it's not CGI because that didn't exist when they no. made the movie. But it those is just... All- incredible those physical models and cameras yeah, and yeah. green screen and they did it the hard way and Man. even in the 90s you know we were doing trek it was still do it the hard way but yes. that work didn't look anything like what they did in 2001 <laughs> that's just you know because you've you've got that huge screen and people are critical man yeah. they may not know exactly what's wrong but they know something's wrong yeah. you know yeah it's yeah. like if the sound's bad all right so nasa's dark yeah. Asteroid impact mission will be a key test of planetary defense. I And, you know, they actually have an office at NASA called the Planetary Defense Coordination Office. Wow. Which that job opened up twice in the last five years. And I thought, you know, if I had a Ph.D., just because it would be cool to be able to wear black sunglasses all the time. <laughs> but uh, so this was launched in 2001. Uh, you got, now you got to be saying to those. It was launched last year. It's called DART, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. And the idea is that, you know, someday we're going to see a big rock hurtling towards Earth, hopefully mm-hmm. in advance, and yeah. go, uh-oh, just like all those movies you and I have seen. Yep. Uh, this is bad. It could, depending on the size, you know, if it's a half mile wide, it's a city or county killer. If it's much bigger, sorry, not a half mile wide. What am I saying? It's 500 feet wide. It's a, a city or county killer. If it gets much bigger, you got real problems. You start getting crop die-offs and all that. So, so we want to try and intervene in some way. And so as a very small test, uh, DART, which is about a 1,200-pound spacecraft, on Monday evening, 6.15 your time, is going to, live on television, yeah. slam into an asteroid. And then we're going to measure with Earth-based telescopes how much of a difference it makes in that asteroid's orbit. So the actual asteroid it's heading towards is called Didymos, and it's, it's large. It's a few thousand feet wide. But there's a little moonlet circling it called Dimorphos, which is about 500 feet wide. So as NASA put it, it's a bit like running a golf cart into the Great Pyramid. But 
even though it's small, because yeah. of the speeds involved, about 2 million pounds of rock and junk is going to get thrown up in the air, and it should divert the thing if you hit it at the right angle off of its orbit. Now, wait. So, how, how in the world is that going to be televised? I mean, is that... Well, because the, the probe has one instrument called Draco, Yes. It's a camera. Other than right. other than the AI that's going to steer it for the last four hours, the camera is all it's carrying, and it's staring right at where it's headed for. So we're going to see that thing get closer and closer yeah. and closer and closer and closer, and wham! So it's it's pretty darn neat. When is that? What time is that? Uh, so I guess I'm going to be on the air when that happens. When does that occur? Six four six fourteen p.m. Central Time next Monday. Oh, I'm not, I'm not on then. Good. Uh, and where do I go to see it? Don't you want to be on the air? We could do a live blow by blow, <laughs> or uh, boom by boom. I think. Um, I think. I think that's the. I think your money matters is on at that time, and not uh, not your planetary defense. Oh, is that the Rick Edelman show? Uh, no. Yeah. Oh, it's one of the other guys. Okay. Um, uh, you can see it on space dot com, and you can see it on. Uh, NASA.gov, and probably a whole lot of other places. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of people streaming it live on YouTube with uh, commentary of varying degrees of accuracy. And this is for the uh, a key test of planetary defense. Man. Yeah, so, you know. saying that. It, yeah, it doesn't feel cool. I mean, yeah. it kind of makes your, your belt tighten right. a little bit, you know. <laughs> um, it makes it sound like we're going to be under attack. The planet. So we need well, defense. I mean, we kind of are. So there's a lot of, you know, our early solar system was just junk. You know, it was dust and right. ice and crud that, that started accreting into bigger masses, and they start banging into each other. And then you get this period called the late heavy bombardment, which you can see what that was doing. If you see pictures of the backside of the moon, it's covered with craters. Every surface. Right. Right. No matter how close you get, the craters just get smaller and smaller, but they're everywhere. So that's how much stuff was drifting around. So a lot of that's gone now because it either got swept swept away or um, accreted in other things. But there's still about 25,000 dangerous uh, rocks and ice chunks that are crossing Earth orbit, and it could be a risk. So NASA thinks, NASA, the Air Force, who do most of this, think they've uh, found probably 90% of the really dangerous ones, but less than half of the smaller ones. And let's not forget, you know, that Chelyabinsk uh, incident in Russia in 2013 that blew out all the windows and was like a small nuclear explosion. That thing was only 60 feet wide. So you start talking about these bigger rocks and you've got serious problems. So um, for, for the really big, yeah. No, I'm just going to say that's why you need a planetary defense. Uh, we're going to take a break and do more with Rod Pyle. We'll come back on 720 WGN. Uh, 720 WGN, John Ed Decker at 820 with Rod Pyle, editor-in-chief of Ed Astro Magazine and host of this Week in Space podcast. So in the time remaining, what yes, do sir. we do? Are we going to do the Hubble? Are we going to do the the uh, Artemis? Uh, what are we going to do? There's so much space stuff going on or not going yeah. on. There's were. a lot. So so let's let's do an update on Artemis since it's kind of yeah. in everybody's mind. So we've had yes. these two two abortive attempts for various reasons. The first one, uh, they thought one of the engines wasn't cooling down properly, but it turned out to be a bad sensor. Yeah. Which you know, that's gotta suck when you're a guy that realizes oh, shoot, it was just it was just a you sensor. Know, we could have gone. That's like the pressure in my tires. <laughs> if the yeah, sensor you know, with a newer car 
<laughs> if the temperature changes eight degrees, you get in the car. It's like, oh my god, your tires are underinflated. And it's like, come on. <laughs> so that that's a very good analogy you made. And then the second launch Thank attempt, you. they bypassed that sensor. Said, okay, we we got this figured out. Then they had a hydrogen leak because somehow we think through human error. Uh, this big eight-inch diameter pipe that fuels the hydrogen tank got overpressured, and the seal got damaged. So they replaced that, and they did a fueling test uh, just uh, yesterday, which worked. So we're thinking, you know, they're aiming for the 27th, but the Air Force still has not given them the sign-off on what they call their flight termination system, which is explosives in the rocket. So that if it starts heading for downtown Miami by accident, they can blow it up and stop it. So that's battery powered. And for some weird reason that I have not been able to dig up, you have to return the rocket to the vehicle assembly building, the big vertical structure they got over there, which is a long trundle back down from the launch pad to change the batteries. So NASA has been asking the Air Force for about two and a half weeks. Come on, come on, come on. Can we go? And they're saying, we'll let you know. So. For some reason, that hasn't happened yet. But we're looking at the 27th, we hope, or October 2nd. If there's, if they do have to go back to the VAB, Vehicle Assembly Building, because of either the rain safety system or the weather or something, it could be later in October, but maybe before Christmas. Is there a little gamemanship going on here between NASA and the Air Force? Is there a little well, uh, hinky thing happening here? Is there some, so, you know, so stay, this stay in your own lane, you know, like stay in your own lane thing, you know? Um, yeah, th- this is responsible journalism, but I did hear a mutter <laughs> that, uh, so, you know, when I looked that NASA said, okay, here's what we're going to do, and, uh, you know, all we need is a sign-off from the Air Force, yeah. I did hear some mutters, the Air Force is going, uh, way to call us out front and center guys hmm. and you know i don't think they would delay it for that i mean they know what's at stake they know there's a lot of money at stake here i gotta believe that there's people you know sitting down with a calculator seriously trying to figure out okay you know let's let's look, look at the risk versus reward here and the performance of those batteries in the past so part of it may be you know maybe that they're testing a parallel set of batteries to see how long they'll stay fully you know, charged could be a lot of things we were we've been talking about this off and on for so long why don't we could you restate what the mission is? What's the purpose oh, of this that. launch? Oh, that. Yeah. Why this is are Artemis we... one? Yes. It's the first first flight of the space launch system, which is our yes. big uh, mega moon rocket that we've been fiddling with since about two thousand two, in one form or another. And um, atop it will be the Orion capsule, which is our uh, capsule of choice for taking astronauts to the moon, not to the moon's yeah. surface, but to lunar orbit and, right. and someday beyond. And um, so this first flight will be 42 days because there's nobody on it. It's on. There's no crew. It'll be 42 days of going out in this big, weird swinging out beyond the moon orbit, going around the moon and then coming back to Earth. So you're testing the rocket, of course. You're testing the life support system in the capsule. You're testing all the upper stages of uh, the extra propulsion system the capsule has to boost it out towards the moon. And quite importantly, you're testing that reentry system because we haven't had a capsule coming back at return speeds, which are about 25,000 miles an hour wow. since the 60s, uh, 70s, early 70s. Yeah. And we don't make heat shields the same way we used to because it was a very environmentally nasty process. And NASA being a government agency, they said, no, you have to use uh, cleaner stuff. So they had some problems. They did test mm. this capsule once just in Earth orbit in 2014. They had some cracking. So this is kind of critical to make sure that people will not cook. They're coming home. Yes. 
Well, you know, hopefully this will happen because this is not the greatest publicity for the entire effort, whether it's NASA or whoever, that they keep rolling it out. Oops, this is, there is a leak. Got to take it back in. Roll it out. Oops, got to have new batteries. Put it back in. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, it's, not a, fair, it's not a big. It's not a big confidence builder. I got to tell you. Yeah, and yet to be fair, you know, in the '60s when they were doing Apollo and the, so the first couple flights yeah. of Saturn V, which they were spending about ten times the money on, by the way, this is a bargain compared to the Saturn V. Right. Uh, when Apollo Four flew, which is the first Saturn V flight with nobody on it, that was delayed five or six months for the same kind of reasons, leaks and problems, and that was the Saturn V, which was fueled with kerosene and liquid oxygen. This rocket because the fuels have more energy, is carrying hydrogen, liquid oxygen. And part of the reason they're going through all this drama is hydrogen is really tough stuff to work with. Hydrogen atoms are really small, and they sneak out of everything. So if you have the slightest, slightest lack of a, of a strong seal, it's going to go beep and come out because it's just, you know, a, a nucleus and an electron, right? Right, So it right. goes sneaking out there. So the leaks are a big deal. So... You know, as as we often do in the United States, we don't use the rugged, tried and true. You know, the Russians would practically like slap together one of the T seventy two tanks with a rocket and say, "Look how that, look how she fly." <laughs> you know, we like to have clean, high tech. Yes, and so uh, right. it's a big deal. But but you're right. I mean, you know, Boeing's got to be really like crossing all toes and fingers and hoping because they built the rocket and Lockheed Martin built the uh, capsule. And of course, you know, so we'll see. We're we're referencing an era uh, in history that was the quote unquote space race, which was yeah. who gets up there first. Because look at those Russians; they put um, I forget the guy's name Yuri, Yuri Gagarin. Oh, Yuri Gagarin. Gagarin. Yeah, wasn't that the guy's name? How Yuri that, Gagarin, nineteen sixty-one. Yeah. yeah. How could we you know we've we've got to get there first? So uh, any delay or whatever, it, it had a different. Uh, aspect to it you know what i'm saying it was like this is competition we're going we're going up against somebody we're not really competing with anybody at this point at least well not not in the same way but you know there is a sense that the chinese are breathing down our necks and well they they don't have a they have a human spaceflight program we don't anticipate them getting the moon before 2030 something but there have been a lot of surprises in their program and like the soviet union in the past they're very quiet about things until they work Right. So, you know, there are people in Congress that are thinking, yeah, we really better get back. And part of the problem here is, you know, we want to get to the moon this time to stay and utilize the resources there so yes. we can go beyond. So we've right. talked about that before. You know, liquid yeah. water, you can make rocket fuel and all right. that. Yeah. You know, we have certain norms of behavior and, and legal regimes that we believe are best. The Chinese don't necessarily see it the same way. So there are some people that are concerned if they get there first, they're going to say, okay, this is ours. Well, you know, I've been, stu- your own. I've been stockpiling some dilithium crystals in my backyard in case anybody. <laughs> anybody hey, you cannot them. change the laws of physics, my friend. <laughs> uh, well, I'll be seeing you in the Delta Quadrant, Rod. Uh, <laughs> Rod Pyle. Oh. Oh, 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 and what? I'll be having John Delancey on my podcast in a couple of couple of months. So I, I'm going to have to reach out to you again when that happens. Oh, a- absolutely, absolutely, got to. Thanks for yeah, being with he, us. Yeah, 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 cool. yeah, yeah. Thanks. Was, all right, thanks, Rod Pyle. As always, fantastic editor in chief at Astro Magazine, 
and host of This Week in Space podcast. Uh, plus, it gives me an opportunity to throw out a few of my Star Trek geeky expressions.